afternoon. Good evening. I'm Dove Tuzman, and you're back on Equal Footing. We're talking about end of time tonight, end of days, the apocalypse, the messianic kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, and certain faces, resurrection, God's judgment, the last days. These are all words associated with eschatology. Sounds like a dirty word, right? It's not. Eschatology, the study of last things. We'll get into the etymology of it. Get ready for a deep dive across the Abrahamic spectrum. Yes, we're on a Jewish network, but we have non-Jewish listeners too, and we love to learn about religion from a comparative perspective. It helps situate our own belief and helps build bridges of understanding. This is the gateway to a series. We are going to do several shows on the end of times. There's just too much material here, but we're going to start with a primer. We somewhat tongue in cheek in our social media blast called tonight's program eschatology 101, the theology of end times in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the Abrahamic faiths. Joined by two subject matter experts and notable gentlemen, let's start by introducing Dr. Robert Leonard. Dr. Leonard is first time here on Equal Footing. I suspect not the last. Dr. Leonard served for 24 years in the U.S. Army. He was an infantry, infantry officer and planner. He's written three books on military affairs. You'll see as this series goes on how that connects into eschatology. Dr. Leonard's books on military affairs include Fighting by Minutes, Time and the Art of War, and The Principles of War for the Information Age. After retiring from the U.S. Army, Dr. Leonard joined the principal professional staff of the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory as a national security analyst. In that role, Dr. Leonard wrote Visions of Apocalypse, what Jews, Christians, and Muslims believe about the end times and how those beliefs affect our world. Fascinating and apropos. Weaves through the terrorism that we've lived through here in the United States and Israel and other parts of the world over these last decades. And of course, something that's chatter on the street right now with nuclear saber rattling. End of times. Dr. Leonard is married to Suzanne Leonard, who's the author, who's author herself, author of the Goliath Code series, a Christian post-apocalyptic thriller. I'm going to get a little mush mouth tonight. I've got a lot of long words. So the Leonard household is our students of the apocalypse and end times from the non-fictional and the fictional side of things. I love it. Dr. Leonard is also a Bible teacher at his church. Dr. Robert Leonard, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really looking forward to the discussion. We are joined, you are joined, Dr. Leonard, by Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin. I can't believe, Rabbi, that we haven't had you in the program before. I've had many of your colleagues on before. I'm a fan of your work with Chabad.org. 
Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin serves as a content editor for Chabad.org, and he's a member of the wonderful Ask the Rabbi team. You got to check this out, whether you're Jewish or not, whether you're observant or not, if you're Jewish, go to Chabad, C-H-A-B-A-D.org, and check out the Ask the Rabbi tool there. You can ask anything. Some of them will get published, others not, but they always respond. It's wonderful, it's engaging, and it's uh, give you real answers to real life uh, dilemmas. Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin has a popular weekly column, as I said, that within that context, it's called Ask Rabbi Why. He has over 30,000 subscribers to that column. Rabbi Sherpin currently serves as rabbi of the Chabad Shul in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, where he lives with his wife and children. He's written on a very wide range of topics in Judaism and Jewish law, including, quite relevant to tonight's topic, a number of articles on eschatology, the study of last things, such as the Jewish view on the apocalypse, whether one, and another one called Whether One is Permitted permitted to Calculate the Date of Mashiach's Arrival. Love that. And an additional article called Are the Ten Lost Tribes Coming Back, etc., and so forth. Rabbi Sherpin, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Looking forward to Dr. Leonard, what is eschatology? We're going to we're going to be using that word on the program tonight. Eschatology, eschatological. What does this really mean? Yeah, so it's a big nine dollar word, but basically it comes from the Greek word eschatos, which means very simply last. And so eschatology is the study of last things, or what we would call the end times. And you know, if you've never heard the word before, it's quite understandable because. In in uh, all three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, there are those, you know, sort of sects and denominations that are very close uh, to the literature, to the, to the divine literature, and those, that part of the religion would most likely be more familiar with eschatology, whereas the parts of the religion that are sort of, that, that don't have necessarily the same regard for the sacred literature, in some cases, would never have heard of eschatology. Uh, the example in my life, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. Um, I never heard the term. I never heard any teaching about the end times. It was just never even brought up. But when I went to a fundamentalist Christian church later in life, well, it was very much a, an urgent topic there, and I you know, learned a lot about it you know, there. So that's pretty much the same in all three uh, religions, I believe. Yeah, one of the things we've learned in our pregame research, and our wonderful producer, Leah, has helped a great deal with this, is that this has gone in waves. I mean, there's a massive focus on eschatology and the end of times around the Maccabean time, what we sometimes call the kind of epic of the rabbis and and the, uh, the revolt that ends up in the, the destruction of the Second Temple, et cetera, and then and then you, there's a long period of time in which it isn't kind of at the forefront. And then you have in a, a 19th century, a boom in that, both in Christianity and Judaism. I think on our next show, we're going to be covering probably with your help, Dr. Leonard, the kind of political and social implications of this study of end times. But let's come back to the theology. And I can hear our Hindu and Buddhist friends and listeners saying, wait, those aren't the, the, the only three religions. Of course not. Uh, but you know what? It's a little, it's facile, both because eschatology is a little bit more formed as an area of inquiry within the Abrahamic faiths. And there's a connection, of course, between these faiths. And it makes it a little easier for the program because it, to some extent, is linear, chronological in terms of the study 
of end times. And with that, Rabbi Sherpin, I'm going to give it to you because one of the, to give us a little bit of an overview of the Jewish view of end times, reschatology, and to help us also frame that as a foundation for Christianity and Islam. Because within Judaism, we have different strains, don't we, around the, the theology of end times. We have uh, Ezekiel, we have Isaiah, we have Daniel, we even have the uh, the book uh, you know of Enoch, which is um, more recent in our understanding, but certainly contemporaneous historically with the book of Daniel. So, can you sort this out first in general? What's the kind of primer of the Jewish view of end times, Rabbi? Okay, so uh, as 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 the doctor was saying, that in eschatology, there's a lot in it. So, I think we have to unpack what exactly do we mean? Because end of times, there's different times that we are calling end of times. But in, in the very, very basic, um, there's many prophecies about the Messianic Age, um, and then there's prophecies that seem to indicate there's going to be wars, um, whoever or whatever those are. Um, and then there's about what's going to be before the Messianic Era. So are we calling eschatology the end of days as in the time right before the Messianic Era, or are we calling it the Messianic Era? Or in the Messianic Era, there are different, uh, there may be different eras. So that's, in, in general, we have, before, when, whenever you're talking about this topic, you have to know what we're talking about. But in, in very, very basic, so the, the Jewish belief um, is that um, right now we're in exile after the destruction of the Temple, and we await for the coming of the Mashiach, uh, who will be a person uh, who will gather the exiles all, and rebuild the temple, and then there will be commence the messianic era. Um, then there will be also a period of will be the resurrection of the dead uh, as part of the messianic era. Now, the reason why I'm saying it like that, um, and in very very general, is because in each one of these things, there's actual actually differences of opinion of exactly how it will look. What does it mean that it will be the Messianic era? Uh, will the Messianic era be, um, will be Mashiach, the temple will be rebuilt, uh, but will the world continue in a natural way or will it be, will it be in a supernatural way? Uh, when will the resurrection be? Um, will it be right at the beginning? Will we have to wait a, t- wait, wait a bit? Also, um, when we talk about eschatology, are we talking about the end as in the Messianic era, or maybe we're talking about after the Messianic era. Maybe there's an era after the Messianic era. Um, that's actually a debate between some uh, different different Jewish uh, uh, rabbis. Um, and then getting before that, we have uh, signs of what's going to be going on um, before the Messianic era. Now, Dr. Uh, Leonard, Rabbi Sherpin is referring to the Messianic era, and this concept of the Messiah, the Mashiach, is shared, is it not, in some way across all three Abrahamic faiths. Can we take a step back and explain for our listeners what that, what the meaning is of Messiah for these three faiths very generally? Yeah, so um, in, in terms of the, the commonalities, Certainly, Judaism and Christianity would would be very common in their understanding of the the age of the Messiah. Um, the difference, of course, is who we think that Messiah is. But we both believe that there is coming a future golden age 
during which Messiah will rule as a world leader uh, from his headquarters in Jerusalem. I mean, you know, that is that is essentially shared. On the Islamic side, uh, they have quite a different view because their view is that the Mahdi will come and rule, and and his rule is for a relatively brief period of time, often stated as seven years. Um, and it's, it's, you know, quite different from the Jewish and, and Christian one. But um, in, in Christian terms, we refer to this messianic age as the millennium, quote-unquote, because of the verbiage found in Revelation chapter 20, where it talks about Jesus ruling for a thousand years. And so we, we take that thousand years, the millennium, as being equivalent to the messianic age. And that, that, is that post-dated? I think that's the revelation of John in the Christian tradition, right? Where it talks about yes. Satan being in the abyss for a thousand years. And so there's, that's kind of, correct. Right. So, yeah, that's correct. So how, just before we go back to the rabbi here to, to help us kind of parse out these, these different versions of, of apocalypse, which often predates that, which I don't want to get to because listeners are probably wondering, okay, you talked about doomsday prophecies. How does the apocalypse connect to the messianic age? But before we go there, there's a little bit of a wrinkle here within the Christian faith, right, Doctor? Because there, the the Jesus figure is already considered a Messiah, and then it's a second coming. Do I understand that correctly? So it's a whereas in or help us understand that because in in Judaism it's it's you know we're we're kind of waiting for Mashiach. We're still waiting for the Messiah. But as I understand it in Christianity, maybe Islam, help me out here. There's a version, a, an interstitial Messiah has already come. No. Yes, um, the the way we see it is that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, and that He actually appears and intervenes in human history twice. Uh, this is kind of given foretold for us in, for example, the the uh, in the Tanakh in the Book of Zechariah in chapter nine, where in verse nine it talks about Him coming humbly on a donkey. But then in verse 10, it talks of him ruling the, the nations and, and, you know, sort of dictating peace to the nations sort of thing. And so we interpret that as meaning that there are two phases to his intervention. The first one happened 2,000 years ago when he came to die on the cross. The second one will happen on a future unknown date when he comes in glory, uh, to, in righteousness to judge and make war and, and to establish himself as king. And so for Islam is, is, that Jesus figure also a Messiah? Sorry to be so so naive here. Is there, is, are there three? No, no, it's, it's a great question. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a great question because Islam would tell you that they also believe that Jesus is coming back as an eschatological figure. However, in Islam, he's not coming back as a Messiah or even really a major figure at all. He's coming back just in advance of the Mahdi, the Mahdi's appearance, and his job, according to some, is to slay the Antichrist, or what the Islam, Islam calls uh, Adijal, and uh, he's going to slay him, and then he's going to proclaim to the world, and especially to Jews and Christians, that they were wrong in their interpretations, and that Islam is correct. And then he's going to give way to the Mahdi. That's essentially, okay. you know, Islamic eschatology. So much here. We're going we're gonna to take our first break, and we're going we're gonna to go back into Jewish eschatology after the break. But before we do that, one last question, Dr. Leonard, and that is the, the um, Son of Man reference, which, which comes to the book of, of Daniel. That's kind of, that is within the Jewish tradition, but is, is, seems to have been very appropriated, if, if, pardon, I hope don't, that's not a triggering word, but used more frequently, perhaps is a better way to say it, within Christianity. Is that, is that son of man figure, 
is that Jesus in the Christian tradition, or is that the a coming, uh, the second coming of Jesus in the in the Christian tradition? Yeah, we we consider that uh, a messianic title for Jesus, uh, related most directly to the the Daniel prophecy. Um, and and of course, that Daniel prophecy is sort of ironic and wonderful uh, because it's you know in that when it's when he's introduced in chapter seven, I believe it is. You know, it's it's in the court of heaven. I mean, it's in the it's in heaven itself. And the last thing you would expect to find there is the Son of Man. There, you would expect to find an angel or something. Mm-hmm. You know, but instead, it's the Son of Man. And so, this became one of Jesus's favorite titles, one that he used himself during his ministry two thousand years ago. Right. We're so, going to yeah. take our first break. We're here with Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin and Dr. Robert Leonard. We're talking about eschatology, the study of last things, end times. We're going to talk a little bit about the apocalypse after this break. We're right back. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by Mechanical Art Capital. Three words, download the app on your smartphone, your iPhone, your Android device, Mechanical Art Capital. It's for watch geeks, watch dealers, watch collectors. Do you have a valuable timepiece? Maybe you sell and buy timepieces. Well, get cash for your collection of timepieces or your inventory if you're a dealer without actually selling it. You can actually use a financing program. Mechanical Art Capital offers this program using a buyback contract. It's super easy. It's just a couple pages long. You can review it and execute it within, I don't know, 20 minutes, and you can get capital cash from your watch collection or watch inventory basically overnight, max two days. You can download the app. You can do it all online. Just snap some pictures of those watches, send them through, and you can get your collection appraised also free of charge. It can help you on your insurance, etc. Okay, here are the deets. Mechanicalartcapital.com. That's one option online. Again, you can get this on the App Store and your smartphone by putting in these three words with spaces in between. Mechanical Art capital you can also call if you want to get cash from those watches that you had appraised you you need i don't know whatever it is to buy more inventory buy more watches uh do an expansion on your house buy a car whatever it is these are for relatively relatively valuable time pieces call 833 you can also do this by phone call 833-209-0972 for more information that's 833 833- Two zero nine zero nine seven two operators are standing by. Get cash value from your watch collection or watch inventory from Mechanical Art Capital. I've been caught. I'm keeping on, keeping on. Oi, we're getting flooded here. This topic is of interest, Rabbi, to our listeners. Dr. Leonard, as you know, a lot of our listeners are Jewish, so we're going to be a little bit more inclined towards that side, but it's so important to parse out the language and understand the overall, uh, what, the panoply, what, the panorama? That's the word I'm looking for. Call and participate. Sound, I know from already getting some texts that some of you know the number already. If you want to text in a question or comment to Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin or Dr. Robert Leonard on this fascinating topic of end times, you can 
write to. Don't call this number, please. Just for texting in or iMessaging and WhatsApping in questions and comments to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. If you want to call, hear your voice on the air and ask a question directly, 718-303-9090. That's the number to call. 718-303-9090. Rabbi Sherpin. Let's talk about the apocalypse. I told you I was going to be mush mouth tonight. The apocalypse. And there are a couple, we've already got questions on this. There, one question, higher order question is, are we as Jews, should we believe in an apocalypse or not? And I want to tell you the second question also because it's a fun one and I want to make sure we don't, it doesn't get skipped. Because if your answer to the first one is no, ignore it. That's not a thing. Then we go, we don't get to hear your answer to the fun second one, which is what is the difference between the animal apocalypse and the historical apocalypse or the apocalypse of weeks? Cause we get both of these types of visions of a cop of apocalypse. Um, in the book of Daniel and, uh, and, and elsewhere. So can you retain those two questions? <laughs> okay, so we'll try. I don't know. We'll try. So first of all, uh, to know what the word apocalypse means. Um, the, the word apocalypse actually really means, it's a Greek word, it really means uh, revealing, uncovering, uh, which usually refers, which traditionally refers to uh, the revelations and prophecies which is related to eschatology, which is the ultimate destiny of, of humanity. That's, that's what the word apocalypse actually means. What the term is used, commonly used, is about this large-scale uh, destruction and catastrophes that's going to, you know, doom and gloom, what's going to happen uh, at the end of time. So that's how the term is used commonly. So... To answer the question whether we believe in the apocalypse, um, so if, if referring to the, the actual real definition, so obviously yes. But referring to the second definition, in other words, how it's commonly used, so there it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, we don't. We, we definitely don't believe in it the same way as other religions would. That it's going to be total destruction. But but let. I'll just take a step back. There's uh, the Talmud. We find an interesting passage in the Talmud. And this, is, this would be Talmud Sanhedrin, uh, which is a famous passage. Uh, it says, uh, It says that the, the world will be 6,000 years is the world, and, and in, it will be in ruins uh, 1,000. And this is based on, on what, it, what, we, what it says in Psalms, that, that uh, uh, a year for God is, is Kelof Shonim, is, is like 1,000 years. So it's going to be, so, so the last thousand years, the thousand chadcharu of one thousand is going to be um, ruins and destruction. Now the question is, what exactly um, does that mean? Um, and before we even get to what that, what, what, what that means, um, the Talmud actually says that, because the Talmud brings another opinion that's for two thousand, and then the Talmud says, no, it's going to be one thousand, it's just like, uh, we have uh, a, a sabbatical, uh, a cycle of seven years, and the seventh year is Shemitah, it's a sabbatical year, and the sabbatical year, so it cleans off all the debts that you had. Uh, so too, we have six thousand years, and then the seven thousand years is, the seven thousand years is, uh, like the sabbatical year, which cleans off 
the debt, and it's like a day that's the Mizmer Shirli Yema Shabbos. It's a day that is completely uh, Shabbos, and it says a day meaning that whole thousand years is like Shabbos. So the Talmud rules basically like Rabbi Katina, who's the, the one who said this, that's for a thousand years. So, but now, so we have a basis that it says in the Talmud that'll be complete destruction for a thousand years, or Chat Haruf, whatever that means. Uh, now, there's been lots of discussion what exactly that means. Um, some say that it means some, you know, literally, that's, that's what it means, that it's going to be, ultimately, the world will return to a state of nothingness, uh, be destroyed, and so on. Others say that it's, it's, it's part of the world, and others say that it's more figuratively. Um, and then, then another part, some actually explain that it's, that, now you say that it's going to be for a thousand years, and one's going to be uh, ruin and destruction. So does that mean it's one after the sixth, meaning the seventh millennium, or is it one of those six thousands? Um, uh, interestingly, there's one commentator, uh, Demiri, uh, he lived in the 13th century, he explains, uh, on the contrary, it, it actually means one of the six thousand, six millennium, millennium so meaning the last six the last thousand of the six thousand years, it means it's going to be in ruins. Meaning the world is going to be in a place that there's going to the Jews are going to be persecuted. It's going to and 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 so on. But it doesn't actually mean uh, destruction. But this is um, what we would say in, within within the Jewish uh, scholars, the rabbis. So there's there's the uh, I don't know how we want to term it. There's there's the, the there's, there's the the um, more um, literalist or, or uh, Talmudic or rational, whatever, however you want to re- refer to them. And then there's the more mystical side, the Kabbalists. The Kabbalists actually explain that this is not actually referring to any uh, physical uh, destruction. Um, or just, just to quote the, the Tzemach Tzedek, um, who points out that we, while, while he, while, Rabbi Katina said that the world will be desolate in the seventh millennium, if you read it literally. We also have many places that it compares the, the world, you know, the 6,000 six, the 6, years of the six days of the week, and then the seventh day is like the Sabbath. Right. God rested, so to the 6,000 years, uh, uh, where whatever was going on in the seventh millennium will be, Sabbath will be the Messianic era. And therefore, the, the Kabbalists actually explain that it, it doesn't mean that it'll be actually, Chachat Karuf doesn't mean that the world will be destroyed, but it'll be in a period that it'll, it'll be, it'll be a, sort of like the Messianic era, that it'll be a millennium that'll be desolate from, from physical things and will just mm-hmm. need a spiritual, a spiritual needs and so on and so forth. Rabbi, uh, I'm, so, I'm going to let you take a breath there for a second. And in, in, a, in a certain, I'm going to I'm going to try my somewhat blunt hand as a layman at, at, at summarizing a, a couple of points. It, it, it seems that at least in the Hasidic tradition, that that Judaism is less focused on kind of the destruction of the world and more on its elevation, and that also there's it, it, there's a more of a mystical understanding of some of is a poor as opposed to a, a literal historical understanding of some of this eschatology and some of the references in book of daniel and elsewhere and and as i understand it in this mystical understanding it's the idea that the origin of the world is reproduced to some extent at the end of the world that is like the process of creating order out of chaos that occurred at the beginning of time also occurs at the end of time it's at a spiritual level as well is is that is that a fair way to kind of think a li- think about at least the Hasidic um, view of of some what otherwise can sometimes be um, very 
very troubling and and very um particular descriptions of 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 horrible events and destruction um i would say yes but more than that uh because if it's just merely to go back to how things were then there's really no point of creation um, so part of it is to get to actually a, a greater and a, and, a, and a higher level than the world was at the beginning of creation. So yes, but more than that. Right. So that's that. Is that would it be fair in, in a general sense that to qualify that as the kind of a, a heavenly kingdom or a messianic kingdom that that exists in end times? Uh, yeah. And I should say that everybody would agree that there's uh, the messianic era. In other words, all all, all Jews would agree that there's a Messianic era, which is a time of peace and tranquility and no wars and, and so on. Um, another key point, uh, which is this is not talking about the apocalypse, but I think it's, it's connected, which is about the Messianic era. Um, so there's, there's differences of opinion, uh, most famously between Maimonides and Nachmanides. Um, they debate about what's the ultimate... What would be the ultimate reward? Is it is it um, is it uh, souls embodied? In other words, a soul and a body of people living in this world, or is the ultimate reward will be um, souls outside of the body? Uh, Maimonides holds that the ultimate reward will actually be the, the souls will be in in, in uh, the world to come and without their bodies, uh, basking in the glory of God. Well, this would be in a time after the Messianic Age. There'll be another after the Messianic Age, after the resurrection. There'll be the ultimate reward. Will be um, not in a body. Uh, Nachmanides, and I should point out that all the all the Kabbalists um, basically follow Nachmanides' view. Um, that says no, the ultimate reward will actually be a soul in a body, uh, because it's after all, in the end of the day, it's the soul together with the body that worked throughout this all this this six thousand years, this time of exile, um, that worked and did, did, did observed the mitzvahs, followed God, and so on and so forth, and therefore the reward has to be both of them mm-hmm. together, and that is the ultimate uh, reward. Yeah. So there's a difference of opinion exactly how it will look at the end, but they will still hold about the messianic era before that. Um, that there'll be you no know, era of no of no wars and peace and so on. So we're going to need to take our next break. So, Dr. Leonard, Rabbi Sherpin left for you the, 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 some of the juicy bits in terms of uh, talking a little bit about, for, for those, we, we can't do a show like this and not at least talk about some of the references to the apocalypse in, in Daniel and elsewhere, but we'll get to that after the break. Dr. Robert Leonard, Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin, thanks for joining us talking about eschatology. The study of last things in the Abrahamic faith. We'll be right back. Faiths. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. 
To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on told- You're back on Equal Footing, and we're talking about end times. Dr. Robert Leonard, Dr. Leonard. Can you help us understand the difference when people talk about the animal apocalypse and the historical apocalypse or the apocalypse of, of weeks, whether they're talking about that in the framework of Jewish eschatology or Christian eschatology, which, of course, also references books from the Jewish texts. What, what are they talking about? What is the what is the animal apocalypse and what is the apocalypse of weeks or the historical apocalypse? So I have to say, I've never actually heard those terms, but I, I, I infer from what you said that uh, the animal apocalypse you're referring to, the prophecies in Daniel, is that, is that what you were asking? Yeah, my understanding is it's around like the four beasts and the four kingdoms yeah, and so, so forth. So, so yeah, so the four beasts of Daniel chapter 7 uh, are, by the way, reflected also in the in the New Testament book of Revelation. And the way we interpret, at least the way you know, my church, my particular denomination interprets it um, using a framework that we technically call uh, dispensational premillennialism. And so the way we look at it is that the first three beasts talked about in Daniel refer to the Babylonians historically, um, you know, the uh, uh, Alexander and the, the Macedonians, and then um, uh, the Media Persia Empire before Alexander. So it would be Babylon, Media Persia, and then Alexander, and then the fourth beast representing Rome. Now, the reason that's really significant to us is because that particular prophecy jumps all the way from the ancient world into the future, because it, it, because there's essentially two parts to Rome. There's ancient Rome, and then there's eschatological Rome. So we believe that Rome is the big bad guy in the tribulation, in the seven-year tribulation that is coming, and that Rome will be revived as described in Daniel chapter 7 and implied in Daniel chapter 2 as well. So, um, yeah, so that's, that part is very relevant to, you know, to what we believe in terms of eschatology. Yeah, and I understand it. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but I understand that the historical apocalypse view is more based on kind of a uh, an idea of, divine intervention at kind of the end end of end of days so these things are are less metaphorical like the four beasts could represent you know four different kingdoms and so forth but more literal and i'm interested in 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 particular in a reference i think it's in the book of daniel dr leonard i could be wrong in one of these uh, uh messianic and apocalyptic books about this idea that there's a rock that is not uh, hewn from from man's work that will kind of bring a destruction to the fourth kingdom. And there's been a lot of speculation that goes through pop, pop, popular culture with movies like Armageddon and so forth that this is an asteroid that hits the hits the 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 uh, hits Earth. Do I have that right? Is that a Book of Daniel reference? Yeah, that's Daniel chapter two. Um, it's a wonderful episode and exciting to read. And it's basically Nebuchadnezzar has a dream 
about a huge statue, and and the statue has a golden head, and then it has a chest of silver, and then it has uh, you know legs, you know legs and thighs of iron, and then uh, at the bottom of the statue are is iron mixed with clay in his feet and his toes, and Daniel, uh, the great hero of this book. Um, not only tells him that he had this dream, which amazes Nebuchadnezzar, but then he tells him what it means. And he says, you know, the, the, the head of gold is you. You're the head of gold, Babylon. And then after you is going to come another kingdom. He's referring to Media Persia. Um, and then after that comes another kingdom, and that's, you know, ultimately going to be Rome. And then our belief, our interpretation of that is that the rock that is cut out, but not by human hands, is a reference to the Messiah. And God will use the Messiah to crush revived Rome, and the whole thing will collapse. You know, as everything will collapse there. That entire, uh, you know, idol essentially will collapse and give way to the rulership of the Messiah, whom we believe is Jesus Christ. I see. So, I mean, there's, these books are rife with these with these types of references that can be uh, that are. In- open to so many different types of interpretations. On this note, let's dive into some listener questions or some, some good ones. Um, Rabbi, let, let's start with one that's a little bit more, I don't know, high-minded. And I think it's an interesting one given the course of the conversation um, so far. So Ellie in Crown Heights is asking, why is it that it seems that as Jews we're less open to discussing the apocalypse, less opening, less open to discussing end times than Christians, and I don't know about Muslims. So, Rabbi, it seems in a certain sense that that's proven a bit by this conversation, where we're the Jewish eschatology, uh, at least as you're articulating, it is uh, you know relies more on m- the mystical and, and and metaphorical meaning. Do you think this listener is Ellie f- from Crown Heights right? Are we uh, more recalcitrant in our community about talking about apocalypse or end times? I think. Yes, but we'll qualify the yes. Because uh, we, we do talk a lot about the Messianic era. We, we pray every day for the Messianic era. We, we you know, three times a day at least. Um, so so we, we actually, and, you know, people every time they finish a speech or, you know, they're talking, we're always praying and blessing that, you know, Mashiach should come. And we will discuss at times what will happen then. So it's it's not... So, so you really have to differentiate. Are you talking about Armageddon and the apocalypse, or are you talking about the Messianic era? Which is how I started off. That we really have to differentiate what were we when we're talking about eschatology. What exactly are we referring to? Now, I, I think part of the reason for this is that, as I was saying, that we we really look at it more, and this seems to be the, the more mainstream view. I would say. Um, even the even the even not the Kabbalists you know, who, who say Chad Karov would be literal, but they too are not saying about a, a, a about a total destruction of the world and the uh, nuclear uh, nuclear wars and the half the world destroyed and and so on and so forth. So we don't really look at it as 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 a, a catastrophe that the whole you know that that's going to happen at the end of times and more we look at it in more positive way uh, as a time that finally the world will be. More refined, um, the, the wolf shall lie with the lamb, uh, there will be no more war, and so on and so forth. So, so that's really how we look at right, it. The swords will be beaten to plowshares, the nations will not rise against each other, etc., in this, in, in, in this period. Right, so, so we don't really, so, so the Armageddon and, and Apocalypse in the, in the comment, 
uh, sense of the word, is not really, we don't really focus on that because we don't, we, we don't really, um, in our, in our, our belief, it's not really going to be as it's pictured in, 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 in other, in other religions. So, Ellie, maybe the answer to your question is we're, we certainly are open to talking about the end times, but more in the concept of the conclusion and the elevation in the messianic uh, period as opposed to the the destruction maybe right before. Rabbi, one more quick question for you. Then we got a couple for you, Dr. Leonard. Um, this is a, a listener, doesn't list uh, his or her name, um, but but is saying that there should be a literal reading of Ezekiel 38 around the war of Gog and Magog. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Why don't we read this literally? Can you shed some light on this, Rabbi? First of all, what is this listener referring to? And... Do we have a literal? What, what's your view on the theology behind it? Oh, so so like all good things, there's differences of view, um, and it's it's not act, there, there's difference. We don't even. I mean, there's differences of opinion. Is Gog and Magog? Uh, is it the names of people? Or well, first of all, of help listeners that might not know the passage. What is what's going on there in Ezekiel 38? Okay, so Ezekiel 38. Um, so it talks about in the end of, and you know, um, towards the end of time, uh, there'll be a war. We, we actually, um, uh, for those for those listeners, so uh, it's, it's actually we, we just read it uh, in the Haftorah. We read it that, um, so on on the holiday of Sukkot. So we actually uh, just read it. We, we just read uh, um, the the war about the war of Gog and Magog. It said there'll be a war of uh, Gog and Magog. Um, 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 the, everybody will be it's terrified. Kind of like the war of the end of times, like a, like an Armageddon. Right, like like an Armageddon, like an Armageddon, and everybody and the Jews will be frightened. Uh, what's going to happen? And then they're going to come to Jerusalem. Um, I, I'm keeping it general because while I guess the the, the questioner wants it. wants to read it in a in a, in a literal sense, and and that is how um, many do. Um, say that it's talking about. Many also say that it's not in a literal sense. The many say we don't. Um, it's it's we don't know if it's a spiritual war. We don't know if it's a physical war. Uh, whether it's the names of nations or it's the names of or, or the names of people. And in fact, um, according to Maimonides, it's possible that this will happen after the Messianic era already started, uh, like towards the beginning. Maybe it's not going to be right before. Um, so, so I'm just getting to the question of of the, the person who asked the question. So it's 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 really not. I mean, you could you could try to translate it literally, but I'm not sure that you're gonna. It's gonna help you gotcha. that much, Doctor Leonard. We got one uh, for you. This is a tough one. <laughs> you got a couple of tough ones here. Um, a listener uh, is asking about. We made reference to the, uh, Enoch, the, the, this uh, book that is found at the Dead Sea Scrolls, and now uh, archaeologists uh, believe uh, that it is uh, contemporaneous with the book of Daniel, which is around from, what, the 2nd century BCE and so forth. Um, and in Enoch, there's a reference to the – the it, it's also called – a part of it called the Book of Watchers. And this listener would like us to talk about the Book of Watchers. Can you do that, Dr. Leonard? Um, if you're talking about the yeah, what, what we call the Book of Enoch, and that is, uh, we don't consider that a canonical book, but of but of great interest um, because it deals with. It, it, and I just want to make sure I'm dealing with the same book that you're talking about. It deals with the issue of the Nephilim and the the Genesis six incident, where 
the sons of men came into the daughter or the sons of God came into the daughters of men and created this sort of a hybrid race, the, the Nephilim, the fallen ones. And then Enoch, that's, that's right. Yes. That's the, that as I understand it, that's what they're referring to. Yeah. Enoch talks a lot about that. Um, I, I'm not sure that I can answer the exact question you asked, but it's a fascinating question to give to me because my wife's, fictional book series, The Goliath Code, is about exactly that. It's about exactly that that scenario, except that it happens in the end times, too. So anyway, uh, but I don't want to distract it. So, um, so yeah, so the question is, uh, you know, we, from a Christian standpoint, we don't, you know, I would say that most mainline Christians, you know, reject the Book of Enoch for one reason or another, although we think it's an interesting book. Uh, and and the the way that some Christians interpret Genesis six, including me, is very much informed by the Book of Enoch, uh, because we we do believe that there was an actual hybrid race uh, created. Uh, it's, it's essentially a half angelic, half human race that's created in Genesis six, and this is what leads to the flood. Yeah, what's interesting, I think, is about the Book of Enoch, which ironically, although rejected, uh, as you say, by mainstream Christianity, there's in- increasing anthropological and archaeological evidence that it was part of the the Jewish canon at the time. And, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, it's, it, what's interesting is that it, it occurs before the flood. And so the flood is a certain kind of an Armageddon, not an Armageddon, but it's an apocalypse of its own sort, right? Uh, and so it's a question of whether these things come in cycles. And thank you. I love ra- live radio because it's real time. Um, I've been instructed by a listener that my reference to the apocalypse of weeks actually does come from the book of Enoch. I can't say this is true, guys. I'm just reading what Alyssa writes. That's an instruction of Enoch to his children based on what he had seen in the heavenly books. And in this case, the history is divided into periods that are called weeks. You can compare it to Daniel 9. Thank you, listener. Yeah. Thank you for that. All right. You ready for another really tough one here, yeah. uh, Dr. Leonard? Okay. Sure. I, uh, I, agree with, uh, I agree with that point about uh, Daniel because in, in Daniel 9, as soon as you said the the eschatology of weeks, I immediately thought of Daniel 9 because that's where you get the uh, the enumeration of the 70 weeks of years, which is extremely significant in Christian eschatology. So I agree with that. Go ahead. Got it. So uh, there's so much to, to study here. Uh, and so folks that are interested, just you know, plugs to, to read the book of Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, Enoch, and I guess in the Christian tradition, the book of Revelations. For, for, for someone who is interested in the Islamic uh, faith, what is the what's like uh, the crib sheet? What should you read to get into Islamic eschatology? And then we'll have a, I have another question after the next break on Islamic eschatology. But what's like the prime book to to reference there, or, or portion of the the Quran or whatever? Right. So the the Quran, um, you know, has about a third of it has to do with eschatology. However, it it really doesn't say a lot of it doesn't give us a lot of details other than there's going to be a final judgment, and, and it's a constant warning that final judgment is coming. So where then do you go for Islamic, more detailed eschatology? And the answer is you go to the Hadith literature, the, which is not in the Quran, but it was developed later, like in the ninth century and stuff. Um, it, you know, it's, it's essentially medieval li- literature written by Islamic scholars, the Hadith literature, and some of those are very specifically about eschatology, and they go into great detail as to exactly what is going to happen and when it's going to happen. And essentially, they it, it points out, it enumerates the greater signs and the lesser signs. The greater signs being the arrival of Jesus, son of Mary, uh, the arrival of the Mahdi, the slaying of Ad-Dajjal, which is their Antichrist, 
and the seven-year rule of, of the Mahdi. Those are the, le- the bigger signs. And the lesser signs are more generic, and, and, the, and they're very open to interpretation. Things like there, there'll be an increase in fornication, an increase in lying, you know, this kind of thing, which you can, you know, you could easily apply that to any time in human history. So, but anyway, that's the short answer is the, the, the Hadith literature is where you want to look at. Gotcha. We're going to go to our next break, but I'm going to give you uh, a chance to think about this listener's question, which I'm going to summarize. It's like two and a half paragraphs long, Dr. Leonard. And this listener is is saying that uh, we're missing the boat, that that really this is more of a historical and political issue around the early uh, messianism and some of the eschatological concepts we're getting into. And this listener posits that really we're talking about a period uh, in the Hellenistic Judaic period where there's a messianic uh, ferment, uh, including the writings of Flavius Josephus, as well as what we now call the New Testament, the appearance of prophets like John the Baptist and Jesus, and that this comes to a climax in the first Jewish revolt against Rome in in uh, 66 in the, the Common Era, and then the destruction of the Second Temple of Jerusalem by the Romans, and that really this um, uh, messianism is effectively kind of an anti-imperialism, and that that is really what this is about and less so uh, an apocalyptic kind of spiritual lesson. That's a, that's to you, Dr. Leonard, after the break. We'll be right back talking about the end times, eschatology 101, study of last things in the Abrahamic faiths. We'll be right back. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world. There's no good transition for uh, this uh, sponsor, but nevertheless, it's a wonderful sponsor for Equal Footing and sponsor for some time. I guess the transition would be if you think we're talking about something difficult to talk about tonight, uncomfortable, maybe makes you a little uncomfortable, uh, but uh, it helps you at least think about how to address it with others. And I think that's true around this topic tonight. It's a juicy and weird and controversial topic. This end, end times, the apocalypse, even how we interpret the messianic era. Well, the same can be said around issues that challenge fa- uh, emotional life issues within couples. And one of those, one of the things that can cause discomfort and sometimes shame um, and needs to be addressed is erectile dysfunction. That's right. Uh, it's being a- unable to have enjoyable sex. It's not anything to be ashamed about. It affects about two-thirds of men in their lifetimes. And there are options out there where you can go and get a consult and look at various treatments and remedies that are not just based on a blanket prescription of those expensive blue pills. And the pills that are used for erectile dysfunction are often not available to many people because of comorbidities and side effects. You gotta call Manhattan Medical and discuss their new effective therapy for erectile dysfunction. It's called Gaines Wave. And when I say new, it's only relatively new in the United States, but it's been used in Europe and even in Canada for many years to excellent results. The Gaines Wave therapy methodology for erectile dysfunction is non-invasive, it's surgery-free, and it's painless. 
And you do not have to be in Manhattan. You do not have to have to be in the New York area. Anywhere in the United States, you can get a teleconsult. So call Manhattan Medical. I'm going to give out the number a couple times. 888-EDQR9. That's 888-EDQR9. In numbers, 888-332-8739. Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy can help patients that have not had luck with any other erectile dysfunction Remedies. If you mentioned that you heard about Manhattan Medical's Gainsway Therapy for ED on the Equal Footing program, you'll get a free consultation, and that's worth $250, and you only get it if you mention that you heard the ad on Equal Footing. So call Manhattan Medical about their Gainsway Therapy for erectile dysfunction, 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. I've been All right, Dr. Leonard, before the break, Esther, I didn't think, I don't think I said her name, Esther from Pomona, New York, has challenged us that this isn't really a discussion around theology. Uh, this whole uh, messianic uh, ferment and this discussion of the end times was rooted in an anti-imperial millennial ideology culminating in a major uprising against the Roman occupation of Judea and Galilee in around 66 to 70 in the common era. Is this listener right, Dr. Leonard? Are you vibing her? Well, um, I will say, first of all, I think she's well-educated in, in the literature, and, and she brings up a very uh, important point and one that uh, you know has a lot of uh, good scholarly respect behind it. Uh, there is a whole, uh, you know, school of many schools of, of biblical interpretation for both Old and New Testament that, uh, that question, you know, the, the timing of, you know, the, the relevance and timing of various passages. For example, the book of Daniel, uh, many will, will sort of dismiss Daniel as being not prophetic, but rather talking more about the time of the Maccabean revolt around the time of Antiochus IV and then the problem with the Seleucids and so on. Um, so, so, you know, she's absolutely right that these kind of interpretations have been there, uh, you know, all along. Uh, the book of Revelation, uh, you know, which we would view as a very highly prophetic book, um, there are many Christians who will look at Revelation and say, no, Revelation is really historical. It's about the, you know, the, the history between the Catholic Church and the Protestants, or, or even before that, it's just basically about the history of good versus evil. So you'll always have you know, schools of thought, well-respected schools of thought that, that view eschatological literature in that way. I personally don't accept it. A historical or political lens. Right, right. Because in the, like, as an example, the reason I do not accept it, um, you know, Jesus himself in Matthew 24, uh, when he was discussing how to interpret the book of Daniel, he said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So, so clearly, Jesus did not look at the book of Daniel as as talking about history. He he saw Daniel as talking about something that was yet future. So, yeah, yeah go ahead. Yes, Dr. Letter, one more question here, and then I want to give you guys both a chance to, to, to wrap up with meaning. So um, Amir writes that we're not talking enough about Islamic 
end of times. And in Islamic end of times, there's lots of unnatural phenomenon, frequent sudden death, excessive lightning, destructive rainfall, terrible drought, huge cloud of smoke, opening up of huge cracks in the earth, the sun rising in the west, etc. Uh, so this listener to, 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 to summarize saying that we haven't talked about that. That's unique to the, to Islamic eschatology. Is that, is that right, Dr. Leonard? We, we didn't talk about that. Is that something that is only appears in Islam? Yeah, more or less. I mean, the, yeah, he's referring to the, the, the numerous lesser signs that are discussed in some of the Hadith literature and, and, and then is interpreted more in a modern sense since 1967, uh, when there was a big upswing in, in Muslim interest in eschatology and a whole plethora of new authors came out and, and began to, you know, sort of sensationalize the topic, be, be, essentially because of the the war with Israel and so forth. But um, yeah, there. I mean, he's right. There is a lot to talk about in Islamic uh, eschatology, and I wish we did have the time to uh, 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 to develop it. But there's also a natural phenomenon talked about in both the Tanakh and in the New Testament, in the Christian New Testament as well. So that's that's fairly common. Yeah. Let's end on a brighter note. We're going to have a future show. We're going to talk about the kind of political and social and foreign policy implications of all this. But let's just for a minute or two each, because we're almost out of time. But Rabbi, this is kind of riffing on a question and comment that I got from a listener as to why this is all important. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to the kind of to the heart of, of, of listeners and say, why is it or is it important to to think about the end of times in our daily life. Is eschatology something that we should be interested in spiritually? So, so that's actually a, a, an interesting question because Maimonides, in the, actually in the, the conclusion of his, of his magnum opus, uh, the Mishnah Torah, so in the last two chapters he talks about, that's where he talks about the Messianic era. So he actually says over there, um, you know, he gets into the details, the different opinions, whether Elijah the prophet who's going to herald the redemption is going to come before uh, the Messiah comes or is going, to, is going to come afterwards. And then he says that to getting into the details of, of all these questions, whether it's going to be before or after, um, is not really something to delve into because we don't really actually know all the details and what actually all these prophecies mean. Um, so therefore, you know, there, he says they're, they're hidden. And, and the truth is, that's just to get to something that was mentioned earlier, Dan, I, I, I've gotten this question, you know, people propose, what is Daniel talking about, you know, and how is the seven weeks, what's, what's it referring to, which is kind of funny because Daniel himself says that he wanted to know and he doesn't know, that God doesn't reveal it to Daniel and you're only going to know when it actually happens. So, you know, some of these things we, we don't actually know, but I do think the general... While we might not know the details of, of, of the prophecies, what exactly, I mean, and, and by definition, that's what prophecies are. Um, they're, they're, they're shrouded in mystery until, until the time comes. Um, but I do think the general, uh, learning about it and knowing about it in general, um, this is what gives people hope. I mean, this, is, this is what we're working towards. We're working towards perfecting the world, refining the world. And knowing that, that how the world is now is not how it's supposed to be and not how it will be. Um, and looking at the world, not in a all doom and gloom way, uh, we're working towards the messianic era and know, know that there's a purpose in what we do in our day-to-day lives. And I think, so, I'll, well, I think we'll end on that, the idea of staying in the moment. I'll end with a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote. Write it on your heart that every day is the best day in the year. No man has learned anything rightly until he knows that every day is doomsday.
So thank you, Dr. Robert Leonard, Rabbi Yehuda. You guys were wonderful, uh, Rabbi Sherpin. I appreciated both of you being so open on this sensitive topic. We hope to have you back on. Cause it's a bit of sweet.